We come to our next two chapters in the, in the book of Genesis. This is chapter 46 and chapter 47. And next week we'll have 48 and 49 in the following week, chapter 50. And then we have completed the, the series right through the, the book of Genesis. So uh, as I, again, as I suggested last week and the week before, I suggest you listen through as I read the story. It's, we're going to read right through the two chapters. A lengthy reading, a shorter sermon, I promise. Uh, but uh, yeah, so uh, listen carefully now to God's word as he, as he speaks to us from heaven by his spirit and uh, through his son, Lord Jesus Christ, of whom this text so clearly testifies. So hear now God's word. Genesis chapter 46. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, their little ones, and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters. All of his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. Now these are the names of the descendants of Israel who came into Egypt, Jacob and his sons. Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and the sons of Reuben, Hanok, Palu, Hezron, and Kami. The sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jakin, Zohar, and Shaol, the son of a Canaanite woman. The sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The sons of Judah, Ur, Onan, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah. But Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And the sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul. The sons of Issachar, Tola, Puva, Yob, and Shimron. The sons of Zebulun, Sered, Elon, and Jalil. These are the sons of Leah, whom she brought to Jacob in Padan Aram, together with his daughter Dinah. All together, his sons and his daughters numbered 33. The sons of Gad, Ziphion, Haggai, Haggi, Shuni, Ezbon, Eri, Arodi, and Areli. The sons of Asher, Imna, Ishva, Ishvi, Berea with Serah, their sister. And the sons of Bariah, Heber, and Malkiel. These are the sons of Zilpah, who Laban gave to Leah, his daughter, and these she bore to Jacob, 16 persons. The sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, Joseph, and Benjamin. And to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, the priest of On, bore to him. And the sons of Benjamin, Bela, Besha, Ashbel, Gera, Naman, Ahi, Rosh, Mupim, Hupim, and Ad. These are the sons of Rachel, who were born to Jacob, 14 persons in all. The son of Dan, Hushim. The sons of Naphtali, Jazil, Guni, Jezer, and Shilem. These are the sons of Bilhah, who Laban gave to Rachel, his daughter, and these she brought to Jacob, seven persons in all. All the persons belonging to Jacob, who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's sons' wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph, who were born to him in Egypt, were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob, who came into Egypt, 
verse 70. He had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face and know that you are alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household who are in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have bought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians." So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now, please let your servants, uh, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Then Pharaoh brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. And they have not attained to the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food, according to the number of their dependents. Now there was no food in all the land, for the, the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes, for our money is gone? And Joseph answered, Give your livestock, and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock, if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied with them food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when the year was ended, they came to him the following year and said, We will not hide from my Lord that all our money is spent. The herds of livestock are my Lord's. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? 
by us and our land for food, and we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh. And give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, and all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is the seed for you, and you shall seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And at the harvest, you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four fifths shall be your own, as seed for the field, and as food for yourselves and your household, and as food for your little ones. And they said, You have saved our lives. May it please my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the, uh, the fact that it speaks to us a testimony of what you have done in history, uh, both prefiguring the Lord Jesus Christ, and then we thank you that you sent your son in the fullness of time, uh, born of the woman, that he would come and save his people from their sins. Help us to see and exalt uh, our Lord Jesus Christ in this text today. Help us to displace our cares and concerns uh, of this world as we hear this word that comes to us from above and through the power of your Holy Spirit testifying to us of the Lord Jesus Christ. Encourage us and build us up for your glory and for our good. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you would think back with me to a, uh, a dinner or something like that where you have been seated with somebody who you're, always, you're slightly nervous about how they're going to behave in front of an important guest, you're hoping they're going to observe the protocol that's appropriate for that particular guest in that particular social setting. And so often that person uh, speaks out of turn and causes uh, a great deal of embarrassment. And the question is, how does that uh, dinner end up going? Well, in our text, we have a situation that's somewhat similar when Jacob goes in before Pharaoh and says some quite surprising things and does some even more surprising things. Something that's actually really central to the narrative of what God is doing in the whole of redemptive history. So this long text follows on from the, the reunion of Joseph and his brothers and sending them up back to the land of Canaan to bring down all the remaining family and his father to whom he is uh, desperate to be reunited. And uh, we are going to see a lot about how Jacob interprets his history and how the experience goes for the, the remaining 17 years of his life once he gets to Egypt. And in the midst of this, we're actually going to learn a lot about 
what the purpose and experience of the church is in this age. Uh, There's extreme relevance for this, uh, from this text for how we will live and experience our lives until the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, amazingly, before Jacob's death, where he thought his two favorite sons were now going to be gone, his spirit has been revived and he is going to get to see his son before he dies. And he has agreed to go down and he says, it is enough that my son is alive. Now let me die. Well, they go in the wagons down to to Egypt. But before he leaves, as a man who has heard God's promise to him, his pro- the promise through Abraham and through his, his father, Isaac, we have him wondering, if I leave the, the, the land that God has promised, am I going to be leaving God behind by going down to find my son? Well, God appears to him to comfort him. Uh, his freshly revived spirit is now also comforted where God appears to him in a vision and says, uh, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for I myself will be with you and I will bring you back up out of Egypt. Uh, this man needed the comfort of, of God and so God appeared to him in a vision in, the, in that way. And God is particularly concerned uh, to comfort his people of faith. Uh, for, for us, he does that in a permanent and enduring way by sealing us with his Holy Spirit. So that wherever the Lord may call us, he is with us. And the same core of this promise applies, that he will bring us up out of this land, which appears to be ruled by the rulers of this age, and he will deposit us in the promised land, his new creation. And that's the shape of God's promise that uh, has been there from the beginning with his people, that God will be with them and he will deliver them into the land of promise, the promised land. Well, having gone from thinking that everything is going to fail, he can now see that God is with him and that God has not abandoned them and that his promise is, uh, is going to be fulfilled. So they set out from Beersheba, um, and, and they head down with all the livestock and all the people, and uh, they go down into Egypt. Now, your next question was probably, as we were going through all of these names, uh, 66 persons in all, and then the remaining two, and two adding up to 70, why do we have to do this? <laughs> and and, and why, do we, why do we read this? Why is this, you know, the, the author in writing Genesis is very, careful about how he uses space. Sometimes we skip generations in a heartbeat. So why are we spending all this time on this genealogy of the, the people going through? Well, it's got all the names of all the families, the wives, and the children, all of the descendants going into Egypt. Uh, 70 as a number represents completeness. Uh, we've seen this number once before. Can you remember when? The number 70 appeared the last time after God visited his wrath upon the world and in the flood. And when there was a a new family that God brought to bring blessing to the world, we have a new kind of table of nations, you could call it, after the flood. And that is 70. It's to represent the completeness of God's people on the earth. So now, why go through this list of of names again now? Well, after 
Babel in which God responded with the, with the flood, he said, no, I am going to bless the whole world through one new man. And that man was Noah. And now this is being repeated again. We have like a new nation that is, 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 has got a representative number of the whole of God's people. He hasn't lost one. His promise is being fulfilled and he's moving his whole people into Egypt to save their lives and preserve this covenant family through the famine when many will die. And at the same time, he is going to use this covenant line, the seed of the woman, to bless a nation and all of its people, as we will see. So this was important for us to read and should be a comfort to us. God has paid careful attention to the fullness of his covenant people uh, to, to deliver them and to, uh, from, the, from, the, from, the, um, from this um, situation where ultimately they were going to run out of food and die and perish if the Lord didn't deliver them from that famine. So they arrive and jo- we have a, a crucial moment where Jacob and his father Joseph are reunited. This is after uh, 20 years of his children lying to him about what they did with Joseph. And now he's being reconciled. He is alive. And so he, he falls on his neck and, and weeps. And Israel, Jacob, says to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Interesting, he's prepared to die now, with happiness, just knowing that his son, who he thought had died, was alive. But Joseph says, you will have to uh, meet Pharaoh now, uh, this man who is going to show us favor. And here we, we have, uh, jo- Joseph is a little bit concerned that Pharaoh is not going to take kindly to his family. Because the Egyptians despise the shepherds. So he says, well, pretend that you are like cattle herders, basically cattle raisers, cattle farmers. And they go in and they're like, okay. And then they just say to him, we are shepherds. <laughs> but nonetheless, this, the point of this is to show that it doesn't matter what the, uh, the general attitude of Egyptians was towards a particular group of people. These people have found favor in the eyes of Pharaoh. And despite the fact that they are shepherds, he says, uh, your, they say to him, your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. And he says, anyway, let your, uh, your brothers come and have the best of the land. Settle in Goshen. I'm going to bless this family and they can be in the best place. And it, because you have been uh, such a, a faithful servant to me, Joseph, if any of your brothers are like you... Put them in charge of my livestock. So this is just increasing levels of favor. And then what happens next is the situation which I described in that introduction where there's a protocol for the meeting that's about to happen, which is that Joseph brings his father Jacob in front of of Pharaoh to meet him. You need to remember, in their context, Pharaoh is, is like God. Joseph is, being, is ushering his father, Jacob, into the presence of uh, the son God's, God Ra's representative on earth. That Pharaoh is God over his land and his people. So there's a protocol of how you are to act. We, we even have 
court documents to see what particular things people were supposed to do that would show good manners and, and so on. But Jacob uh, does not quite play along with this. And Pharaoh says to him, how many days are the years of your life? And instead of something short and sweet and, uh, and, uh, and formal, he says, well, the years of my sojourning are 130 years. And then he lays a complaint. Few and evil have been the days of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. Well, he's really not acting like one would act before a God. But nevertheless, uh, he understands that his life and his journey have been a kind of slow march towards the promised land. And he's probably, in a way, a little bit despondent because he's now been shifted out of it uh, for a while. But he understands that his that he's marching towards a promised land. God's reaffirmed that promise to him. And later, the, the author or the preacher to the Hebrews will interpret the, the fathers in this generation, even though they're thinking of the promised land, he says that their faith is actually in a celestial city, in the city of, of God, the city of, of heaven where they're traveling towards. And the true faith possessed by God's people here was in the true promised land, uh, the new creation. So he is right that he is a sojourner. And that's what I said when I, when I explained that we're going to see here about something about the purpose and the experience of the church. This is part of the experience of the church. We are sojourners. We are a people that's been constituted by God through his covenant and we've been promised a place, an eternal place, but we haven't settled in there yet. We are sojourners in this world, in this life, until Christ comes again. God's people have always been sojourners, but there will come a day when we no longer sojourn. And that is when the fullness of his kingdom comes. But here we have an early pilgrim, uh, someone who is... Uh, anachronistically, in the Christian life, if you will, uh, waiting 130 years sojourning, even though that has been less than the years of his fathers uh, before him. But notice the very interesting thing that, the, that Jacob does here. It's repeated twice in it's verse 7 and verse 10. Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Blessing takes place in the direction of the greater to the lesser. The one in the position of, of power and whatever else it might be and, and possessions confers a blessing upon the one who needs it, the lesser. So how is it that Jacob is blessing the Egyptians' God, essentially? How is the lesser in theory, uh, blessing the greater. Well, the fact that this is mentioned twice means that this is something that the, the writer here really wants to draw our attention to. Firstly, everything of, of Egypt uh, is being given to Jacob, which is, which is interesting, and his, and his family, that they will possess all of the riches of Pharaoh, but somehow this is resulting in Jacob saying, well, I will bless you. 
Now, why is that? We have an interesting meeting of two kings here, and we've had something similar before, because do you remember, in the case of Melchizedek, the fact that Melchizedek blessed Abraham was proof that Melchizedek was a greater king, right? So what is being repeated and taken as an as a image from earlier in Genesis now is to say, actually, here, Jacob is a greater king than Pharaoh. Why is that? Well, that's what we'll see. The, the, the big to small image has been flipped, but in a way that tells us that actually Jacob is the one who has the power to bless. And this has been the, the case because remember, what did God say right at the beginning to Abraham in his promise? I will bless those who bless you. And we've seen this multiple times. First, Abimelech. And what's blesses and what's, what does he receive for his people? Peace. Potiphar, he blesses and what, what is, happens to his house? His house prospers. The jailer, he blesses. And then what happens? The jail prospers and everything works well. And now, in exalting Joseph as the ruler of his land, Pharaoh is being blessed. We're going to see the effects of this blessing. They come into focus from verse 13 of chapter 47, which is because of the severity of the famine, there ends up being no food at all in the land. So initially people bring their money and then they don't have any more money. So they give their livestock and then they don't have any more livestock. So they want to sell themselves and their land in desperation to, uh, to get what they need to survive. So Jacob, uh, I mean Joseph, does exactly what he's supposed to as, as Pharaoh's um, emissary. And he, he finds a way to make the whole nation still survive and prosper. And increasing Pharaoh's power. Because now, not only does all the land and all the people belong to him, but he owns a 20% stake in all the future revenue in perpetuity from the land. Uh, for 20% is the kind of tax rate that we would probably dream of, of having, <laughs> and it's, it's pretty low. But if you're a subsistence farmer, that is extremely high. And Pharaoh is going to have this wealth coming into his storehouses in perpetuity, and yet all the people survive as well. So Joseph has been excellent as a, a ruler in the land. And now it says that essentially, despite there being a famine, just as the dreams explained, the people are preserved and somehow the nation prospers, even though there is famine. That is indeed a blessing for Egypt. So what Jacob did, blessing, you know, some commentators and, uh, and, and theorists when looking at this say, well, blessing can't actually mean blessing because this is Israel's future enemy and whatever. So blessing must be like a greeting, like, oh, Pharaoh, uh, something like that. But no, the, the verb for that, for blessing, is very, very clear how the writer in, in, in Genesis has deployed this in the, in the past. And now we see that 
so this blessing is not just a statement like, oh, bless you, child. This is conferring a covenant benefit that God had promised. As the heir of this covenant promise, he has... He, he actually is going to transmit a blessing when it says that he blesses Pharaoh. And we see that that came to pass. In the 17 years in which they lived in Egypt, Egypt thrived despite the famine because God's blessing came through the hand of Jacob to Pharaoh. Uh, in this, it's summarized by saying in verse 27, thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt in the land of Goshen. So this is a summary statement through all of what we've just read. This is what happened. And they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. Despite this horrid situation that they're in with the famine, the people, God's own people, gained possessions and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. Now, while this may have been pleasing to this Pharaoh, in the start of the book of Exodus, it is not going to be pleasing to the next Pharaoh. In fact, that Pharaoh is going to use their multiplication as a, mean, as a reason for uh, enslaving them and beating them down in case they want to rebel and take over the land. But that is how much fruitfulness and uh, multiplication takes place and wealth is built by God's people that they prosper in the midst of what would be one day even enemies. But since Pharaoh has received them well, Pharaoh prospers while God's people prosper. So this now comes to help us understand, we've talked a bit about the experience of God's people in this age as the church, but what is the purpose of the church in this age. Well, Pharaoh's receiving of this blessing is in a way an admission that Jacob is the greater. Now I'm sure Pharaoh is not putting it in that term, in those terms, but he recognizes that there is something about these people. But ultimately, dominance over the land is going to come through the seed of the woman. The seed of of the promise. How does how did Egypt get this blessing? By exalting the seed. How does the world get blessing from God? By exalting the seed to the highest position. If the seed of the woman gets authority, blessing comes to the nations. And this is precisely what Israel will be intended to do when Israel is constituted uh, at, at, with the Mosaic Covenant. God is going to create a people that the rest of the world is going to look to and are supposed to exalt their God and that they will be blessing. They will be blessed as a result. Israel is meant to be a means of blessing that God would bless the world through his nation, Israel. And ultimately... By, by the, the purpose of that covenant is to put forward this ultimate seed of the woman, Christ, who will be exalted in the nations. That is what Psalm 2 is talking about when it says, kiss the son. For if the nations look to Christ and exalt him as supreme ruler, the kings, they, the kings of the world must look to Christ and exalt him and they will be blessed. 
But if they try and conserve power and oppress God's people, they will ultimately be destroyed. Because what does it say? Kiss the son, lest he be angry with you. So kiss the son. The idea is that those who exalt the seed will be blessed. And they will inherit the kingdom with Christ. This royal son will bless the nations and he will hand over uh, an inheritance and a prosperity of the new creation. If you think about the language that the old covenant prophets used to describe the new creation, in their minds, the best way to say it was that the, the land would ooze wine and, and honey and it, it would have a super abundance and productivity that one can hardly imagine. Well, that is the blessing, the fullness of the blessing that overflows from God's royal son when he is exalted in the new creation. And there is the only people who will be in that new creation will be the ones who have exalted the son. And we are in this room as Gentiles because of Israel who was a type of Christ. So that when he was lifted up, What did he say the purpose of that would be? That he would draw all men unto himself. And it is his self-sacrificial death that is supposed to, as the the, uh, ruling Davidic king who came uh, to die in, in the place of his people for their sins, that people would be looking upon this king and be attracted to his glory and goodness and grace and mercy and kindness. And they would see his promise that they would have obtained an inheritance through him, through his exaltation, which first required his humiliation, that he would die on the cross in order that he may be raised to new life and raise us to new life. And now he sits in heaven emblazoned in new creation glory as the firstborn from the dead. And he is lifted high above the earth that all the nations would look. And those who submit to him, who exalt him, will obtain an eternal blessing. And you, as God's people, having already done so, have the same assurance that Jacob had when he went down into Egypt. He was not leaving God's presence. God was not going to leave him alone. And he, the promised land, he, he had not lost it. God said, I will bring you up out again. And so that even that is our purpose as the church in this world is that God, people would look to Christ and exalt him. But our experience then is still as pilgrims. That we, we await the time when he will descend uh, from the clouds and establish that new creation. And there, having multiplied his church and gathered in all his elect from all the nations, then we will receive with Christ all things as an inheritance. God's royal son with us forever in the new creation. So let that be your, your comfort in your, in, your, in your life as you face the, the problems that we face, the challenges that we face, uh, the difficulties of this life, the, the great hope that we have is the hope that was first had by these fathers. And in this case, Jacob. 
Jacob's trust in the Lord is what secured his place in the promised land. And it is your trust in your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that secures your place. So be comforted in your hearts and in your spirits, revived with joy, uh, like Jacob at this news. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, what uh, a beautiful gospel and that we have, and what an uh, amazing prefigurement of it in here, that we see that through exalting your Son, blessing will come. And we see that as we experience even a taste of this new age uh, that is to come, the new creation, here this Lord's Day, as you meet with us and you bless us uh, through your means of grace, that we would have a taste of the life uh, that is to come for us in eternity. And all of this is possible through this royal Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our hope and our salvation, and in him we trust. So we bless your name. Uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, forever to be blessed. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.